Good morning. Uh, here we are today with Patricia Au, um, COO at Nest. Uh, Patricia, how are you? Good, thank you. Good morning and good evening to everyone else in the world. <laughs> oh, would you jo actually, yeah. So I'm in London at the moment, early morning. Where are you, Where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm currently in Bali, uh, although I'm usually based right. in Hong Kong, um, but travel quite a lot, obviously, for work. So well, very fortunate on that side. A very nice part of the world. Very nice part. Um, but I mean, in terms in terms of uh, Nest, busy year for you guys. Um, how how did twenty twenty two shape up? And uh, yeah, what, what what's the plan like really for for this year? So I mean, twenty twenty two was obviously challenging. Um, well, actually, it's it's you know as the world is right, the duality, the polarity of it. Um, it was challenging, but at the same time, it was great, um, you know, for us on a, on a work level. Uh, we launched our, our dApps. Uh, we came out with a revision on our actual chain, um, you know, made a whole bunch of connections, attended a lot of conferences. Uh, we, we really ramped up on the marketing and started building our community. So, you know, always trying to think on the positive side of things. It was actually all in all a very good year, um, despite what the industry has been going through. Yeah, I, I, I think that with any like emerging industry, there's always challenges. Um, and, and I think that actually what we're going to see rather come out of the Web3 space and the blockchain space is actually like more opportunity, stronger companies and also more of a focus. Right. So yeah. I, I, I think it's I, I kind of compare it to the Internet, like in the, the tech bubble crisis in 2000, 2001. But I mean, and in, in terms for moving forward uh, this year, uh, you know, what, what's the plan for Nest? So we're going to be continuing to scale. We're really looking at ramping up, uh, you know, user acquisition, coming out with new features on the dApps, uh, acquiring new customers, integrations, partnerships, um, and then on, on our layer as well, we're uh, wanting to really scale that and have, you know, developers come in and start building on us, uh, which is which is really, really exciting. Um, you know, that is obviously the piece de resistance of, of Nest uh, and uh, with the version two, which is very exciting. I'm not sure if Charles has mentioned it, but, um, you know, the tech team has come up with a very exciting hybrid structure on, on the layer to help for some of the scalability issues uh, within the industry. So really looking forward to receiving some feedback from the community on that. Um, and that is something that I really do love about the space. You know, you have this constant iteration and feedback from the community and you're really building together um, as opposed to, you know, I come from a traditional uh, finance background and there it's very segregated. So it's really nice to be able to get a whole bunch of uh, feedback from some really, really smart people out there um, who've been in this industry far longer than, you know, I have um, and who come up with really cool use cases. And, and are, is your community predominantly just made up of developers, blockchain developers? So because we have uh, dApps as well, uh, we actually also just have kind of, you know, uh, retail community, so to speak, as opposed to uh, the technical side. Um, so it's really quite varied. And then one of our dApps is... Um, is actually institutional. So on that side of things, it's it's institutional clients and corporates uh, and enterprises. Um, Charles has built a whole bunch of stuff over the last five years uh, for every single vertical, every single use case. Uh, that man is an absolute genius, um, you know, and, and keeps building more and more and more to solve for things. Um, so we're very fortunate on on that side of, of things. Do you know, so when I spoke with Charles, I was so fascinated by his past that- yeah. 
I, I didn't really dig into like what, what he'd actually built um in in too much depth. But yeah, I mean, he is an interesting guy. Very interesting. Yes. Yes. What, what's he's he like to work with? Wonderful people. Sorry. He's what? Sorry. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say he's also just one of the most wonderful people, you know, from a from a personal human perspective. So uh it's it's fantastic to be able to work um with him. Well, he's got some like really interesting like life experiences, some stories, like things that I mean, only a handful of people that are alive today, you know, really, really have experienced themselves. So yeah, interesting guy. And I, I get it, very, very smart. Um, um I mean, but again, look, I mean you know yourself i mean you've got a very interesting background yourself um you mentioned you haven't been in this this space too long like what, what actually is your background um so i started as a lawyer in investment banking i was a derivatives lawyer um and so i actually went through the financial crash in 09 in london um which you know to me is very comparable to what happened with ftx i i kind of when ftx happened uh, i compared it to lehman's um, that was kind of a very pivotal moment in my career uh, within investment banking. Um, I then ended up running the Asia Pacific region um, within the legal department for the banks. Um, I then decided that I was not happy with my corporate career. You know, I was constantly stressed. I was working 24-7 um, and I ran away with the circus quite literally. So um, I'm an aerialist on the side uh, and I ran away uh, and performed for I that was a joke. I no, that is. <laughs> I read that it's ran away with the circus. I thought, okay, I need, to, okay, yeah, I overlooked. That. Wow, you actually ran away with the circus. I actually ran away with the circus. Yes, it was the most wonderful experience. Um, and when I came back from that, I, I fell into crypto. Okay, but, um, sorry, I'm too, but in, in terms of like running away with the circus, sorry, it can't be like, yeah, I ran away with the circus. <laughs> like, there's a story there. So you're obviously, what, what are you a gymnast and? No, so um, I started quite late in life. Uh, you know, investment banking is very geared towards going out, drinking, uh, not not really the fitness, uh, you know, industry. And um, at a certain point in my life, with all the stress at work, you know, running the Asia Pacific region, uh, all the regulatory um, matters that I had to deal with, um, I really needed an outlet that wasn't going out and getting drunk and then being hung over and, you know, having the fear the next day from from the hangover. Right. So um, I got into circus at the age of 28 um, and, you know, really got obsessed with it and ended up eating, sleeping and breathing it outside of work. Uh, would get up, you know, super early, 4 a.m., start training. Uh, if I I'm finished late I'm training a day. Um, you know, anywhere from kind of five to eight hours. Uh, so I slept very little at this point in my life. I had insomnia. Um, so, you know, slept, slept very little, trained a lot, spent all weekends training every holiday that I was able to take because I wasn't able to take too much time off work. Um, I would go to circus schools, uh, mainly in America. Um, and I would do a two week intensive. And actually that's how I got the opportunity to run away with the circus. Um, there was one Christmas, I went to San Francisco, I was at the Mongolian Contortion Center because I did contortion. Um, and I met who now is one of my best friends in life. And um, for about two years, she kept saying to me, if you're unhappy, why don't you just leave your job? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, sure. Just quit my job. You know, what am I going to do in life? And so she kept saying to me, come to Peru, come to Peru, I'll be fine. Uh, and one day I just woke up and I'd had enough of my job. And I resigned that day, booked a flight the next day, got on a flight. 
uh, got to Peru and she'd helped me get, you know, a part um, in the circus because she's a resident aerialist. And yeah, off, off I went, you know, it was, it was phenomenal swinging from the ceilings and playing around. I mean, it's really just like being a big kid again, you know, uh, which, which, which is actually also, I compare it to crypto because I feel like, a, again, I get to live this you know, very fun life. I, I'm still working 24 seven, um, but uh, it's, it's fun and it's playful and it's creative um, as opposed to, you Definitely know, banking. Great. Yeah. It's, and, and again, funny enough, I, I, I worked in banking um, in London pretty around, around the same time around the financial uh, crisis. And do you know what? I think after 10 years of doing it, I was just completely, completely miserable. <laughs> Yep. to be blunt and actually I quit my job on a dare I just so I, I was I was dead to just go in and quit my job but they were like if you're so unhappy just go and quit and and I did and yeah lo and behold good that, for that, you congratulations yeah, so, yeah <laughs> um uh, yeah but honestly best decision I've made I I'm, I'm I almost wish I'd have done it like five six years earlier but uh it is what it is but I mean in in terms of like like in terms of like web three um obviously you've got a very interesting past you've got a legal background you obviously got a creative side you've got a fun side as well which is like we say is necessary for this um area you've also worked in the vc world yes so um yeah so i was the director of a vc called brink which is based in hong kong and they have a partnership with animoca brands and now a few other uh, big players and uh, so i ran their accelerator uh, so i put together the program i sourced uh, the projects, uh, did all the due diligence, um, you know, and then also mentored and advised a lot of these projects. And I still work quite closely uh, with them. I still refer projects to them uh, that I think are good, you know, and, and who can benefit from the curriculum and, and all the help and the advisory there. Um, but again, it fit into my background because, you know, so I worked at Barclays Capital in London, uh, that that was the start of my career. And I am, I covered M&A, I covered funds, I covered derivatives, uh, specialized in derivatives. But again, you know, um, a lot of, there was a lot of crossover into that. So that's kind of what I was very comfortable with. I mean, I got into the, uh, the blockchain space uh, in 2018. Um, and I fell into it and I became part of a founding team, but I really had no idea. Uh, my first project was a digital asset exchange. Um, it was funded. We had a tech team, didn't go so well. Second, um, you know, company, again, part of the management team was actually think Instagram with a native token. We were probably one of the first social media companies within the space went very well. We exited to a VC and then, um, from that kind of started scaling my consultancy and then moved into the VC space because again, you know, the technical side for me is something that is a learning journey and something that I that I work on every single day. But finance related matters, um, legal related matters, incorporation, jurisdictional perspectives, that's kind of my bag. I can do that with my eyes closed. And, um, you know, being at a VC, especially running the accelerator, I thought was a great way to, you know, build upon my knowledge, right? Because I get to see so many different projects and so many different verticals. Um, without kind of fully immersing myself into that. So um, that that was a really great time. Uh, and like I said, still still work, you know, with them, refer refer kind of companies to them, projects that I think are great um, and still advise some of the, the, the projects that they have um, in the accelerator, which again is, is more a selfish level for me because I get to learn more. <laughs> so you're, you're also helping, you're also helping these people. And I, I, I think what's interesting that I found from, um, from rayon and we do quite a lot of talks at universities the one question that we get asked 
without fail is how do we raise money and when should we be raising money? And yeah. and it's really it is a conundrum. And, and I, I'm I'm very open with them and, and I, I tell them that actually, Realm, we haven't raised any money. I have worked at companies where we've raised before, but you know, it's, it's very much, I think it's different for each individual company, but I tell them more to focus on sales above anything else, get to a point where you're actually generating revenue. And if you're generating revenue, then, uh, you know, the VCs will find you. They they will. Um, again, I think it's about, so I actually, uh, uh, I was in Miami two months ago at a conference called Decentral. Um, and I, I had a speaker slot and then I had a workshop and the workshop was actually, you know, fundraising tips, things that I'd learned, um, because for each and every company I've actually raised, um, and you know, there's the standard kind of things that you need to hit, right. Your pitch deck and things, but then there's also a lot of soft skills, which I think a lot of people don't think about, but, you know, even when it comes to, to the VC analysis, um, I often tell people actually to use a sales process, right. So, uh, generate your funnel. Um, have, and, and really start digging data on the various VCs, which stage, at what stage they invest in. You know, you have some VCs that invest at angel round. You have a lot of them that invest in seed stage. And then obviously the bigger, the larger ones will invest kind of, you know, post seed. Um, so it's really about creating that list for yourself, um, you know, starting to connect with VCs, building relationships, or finding someone who has raised that you can ask to mentor or advise your project and start introducing you to these VCs. Um, but especially within blockchain, actually, there's quite a lot of VCs that are willing to fund uh, from angel and, and seed stage. Yeah, that, I, I think that's what we've seen. We've been very fortunate that actually, we, we've had quite a few opportunities to raise money. And I think now we're the smart money isn't going into the companies that have necessarily raised it like series like B, series C. They're looking for the smaller companies where, uh, you know, that they can get in a, on ground level very, very early. Um, I mean, look, you've you've had a, a very, very varied career. Um, <laughs> yes. So, I mean, but I mean, in terms in terms of the, you know, the next steps really for yourself, I mean, what's what's the focus then? Because, you know, I know that you're also doing a lot of work with women in blockchain as well, which actually, which is interesting because in the tech world, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but within the Rayon community, like a vast majority is men. I think something like only like 25% of the Rayon community is female and it's like, 99 or 95 percent i think at the moment is over like software developers and engineers but specifically blockchain seems to be attracting a lot of like women who don't necessarily have a tech background like why do you think that is you know i i think blockchain has become such a buzzword right within and it's really exploded it's become kind of the flavor of the month so to speak um and it's a fun industry um you know, if, if you look at my life, a lot of times it looks like I'm just partying and having fun uh, and going to all these exotic places and meeting, you know, cool people and uh, against, exactly right. Hard life, um, yeah. you know, and, and it's not I think if you traditionally think about tech, we think about, you know, Microsoft and IBM and it's a little dry. Right. Uh, what the the job opportunities there, the output, whereas in blockchain, you know, you've got move to earn a space, uh, you know, health and wellness, um, you've got social media companies, um, you've got, uh, you know, gaming, <laughs> you've got metaverse, you've got NFTs uh, in terms of digital art that you can create. And, 
you know, again, this is a vast generalization, right? But I think women, a lot of women like to be creative. And the amount of opportunities within blockchain to be creative versus the traditional tech spaces um, is just so different that I think women naturally gravitate towards that. In addition to the fact that, again, it's, you know, everyone can see from the outside, it's a really fun world. Whenever you meet crypto people, you know, they all seem to be having a great time. They're constantly traveling around and having fun. Um, you get to meet really, you know, cool and, and interesting and smart people. And so I think that's definitely something that that attracts a lot of people, you know, versus a lot of other industries, right? Not just necessarily other tech industries, but, you know, you think about banking. Again, it's pretty dry. Yes, you have oh, the parties, Lord. but it's, it's dry. It's boring. There's yeah. politics. Yeah. Uh, there's a ceiling for not just women, right? Men as well. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, and I think in crypto, you can really carve out your own career and your own path. You can be a founder right from day one. Um, even if you don't have the technical knowledge, you know, if, you, if you've got the creative side or if you've got a really interesting use case, you can build your tech team and, and they can they can build that for you, right? So um, lots of opportunities. And I think that's why a lot of women are coming into the space. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting industry. And, and I can say this like from experience, like there's a willingness to help each other. Yes. That, that you don't see like in the hedge fund world. Yeah. Nowhere. Banking yeah. world, yeah. Well, whereas I, I, I think I think particularly for, for uh, women coming into this space, um, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it's the creative side of it, you know? Um, but... Yeah, I mean, that that's what I think it is just because, you know, a lot of especially a lot of the, the female founders that I speak to, a lot of their projects are very creative, um, you know, or, or even creative in terms of the application of sure. blockchain, yeah. um, you know, which which I don't necessarily find so much in. Again, I might get in trouble for this, but generalization, right. but but within within male founders within the space, um, whenever there's a bull run you know, a whole bunch of uh, people come into the space or start new projects and they're all within the same verticals. So when, you know, we had the rise of the NFTs, um, the amount, especially at the accelerator, I mean, the amount of applicants I saw that were all building the same type of NFT marketplace, there was no thought put into it, you know, and then, and then again, generalization, um, you would then see some female founders and they would come up and it was a marketplace too, but it was very specifically curated for either fashion or you know, art or uh, creators or platforms and things like that. Like there was something that was slightly more unique and creative about their idea, I, I felt. Um, and don't worry about the generalizations, by the way. <laughs> you know, I'm ex-lawyer. I have to caveat myself. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you know what? It's, look, be grateful. A, you get to say you're an ex-lawyer um, and and B, the fact that actually, you know, you're you're able to like lead in this industry because it, it, it is interesting. And again, I'm not known for my political correctness. I'm not known for always saying the right thing. But, you know, I, I think that it's, it's interesting, like the amount of women that I do see like leading in this space that really you think just because of how technical it is, it would be like male dominated. Yeah, which which, again, I think is the great thing, you know, um, as long as someone has an idea or they're great at, you know, operating, right. If you're an operator and you know how to manage and lead a company, um, you can build the tech team. Sure. Uh, and again, within, within blockchain, you know, it's so varied, even within the developers and the engineers that you can't just have one person do that for you. It really needs to be a whole bunch of people. So, um, you know, I think this is why it works because ultimately a company, regardless again of what industry it is, um, 
there's a lot of similarities in running a company, right? It's management, you know, hiring well, um, admin, logistics, accounts, uh, marketing, you know, all of that type of stuff. It has nuances and it has unique parts, but fundamentally it's very similar to running a company in another, in another space, except that again, I would say it's, it's far more fun. Um, so. <laughs> no, I, I, I have to, I definitely agree with you about the fun part and I, I, yeah, I, I think what's interesting is actually seeing again, women particularly like entering into the gaming space. Mm -hmm. So again, and again, generalization, I'm caveating it myself now, <laughs> but when I think of, of, you know, the customer base for gaming, it's very male dominated, you know, growing up, my friends and I, we all played video games. Um, I didn't know any girls that did. Um, right. I think even that that's changed. Right. And, um, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of a gamer. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I enjoy. And the other thing that I really enjoy, and I've always had this, was I actually really enjoy watching others play, like, especially really? simulation games like Assassin's Creed or um, Grand Theft Auto. Like, I, I love those, you know, because it's it's like an interactive movie. And again, it's teamwork when you're when you're chilling at home with your friends and you're, if someone's playing that, you know, you can point things out that they don't see. And you're like, oh, go down that alley and try that or open that door. And um, it's pretty fun. So uh, I, I and I think definitely the younger generation now is is gotten more into that. I think COVID has exacerbated that as well. Right. Because we were all locked into our rooms um, for two years. And so you kind of try and find things to do. And, you know, who who doesn't you know like to get lost in a game every once in a while. Right. Or I mean, do you remember Candy Crush? That was huge out in Asia, at least. Um, and I mean, most it? of the players, was it? Okay. Uh, but yeah, most of most of the people that I knew that played it were actually women, you know, or the farming games, like there's Farmville, um, you know, anything that, that needs to be grown in terms of a community intended to. Um, so, you know, I'm I, I think there's a <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to risk showing my age here, but I used to play like SimCity and Thought Park. I so, love SimCity. <laughs> I really, okay, fine. I got pretty good at it as well, but it's so addictive. It's so addictive. So addictive. It's so, so addictive. I've actually got a funny story about um, uh, GTA. So this was only like a few years ago, just before lockdown. I was having, uh, I had a meeting, like a Zoom, I had a Zoom meeting because we were doing that, right? Even before lockdown. And yeah. um, I was speaking to the CEO of like an international like telecommunications company. I hope he's not going to see this, but he was, yeah, it, it wasn't the most exciting meeting. Right. And so I forgot I was sharing my screen and I've got like, like even when I'm looking away I've got like multiple computers around me and I had like quite a few monitors and I was sharing and I put on GTA during the meeting <laughs> and he was talking and I didn't realize I was sharing my screen and he was just like he's like playing Grand Theft Auto while we're talking I was like yeah and <laughs> Rather than actually, I had to like double down then. I was like, I do it all the time, like, you know, whenever. And do you know what? He cracked up laughing and we ended up having a really good meeting. Yeah. Like, because yeah. he was like, I love Grand Theft Auto. I was like, yes, I love Grand Theft <laughs> I was like, yeah, so amazing. No, I think, it, you know, things like that, again, not, they're good icebreakers, right? I think a lot of times, especially people not in this space or who came in. I mean, when I first came into the space and I started doing, you know, podcast interviews or speaker slots or anything like that, or panels, I was very corporate because that's what I was used to from my banking career. You know, I used to do these legal conferences and um, every word has to be vetted and you have to, every hair has to be, you know, in place. And 
Um, I often found even there though, if you could connect on kind of more of a human level, people were far more interested in what you had to say. Um, and it, it, it was a great icebreaker in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, play Grand Theft Auto more on, on these interviews. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, do you know what, it's, it's interesting like what you said that there is like, um, there's almost like an innocence to this industry. I mean, I'm not naive about it, but there's an, an element of an innocence in terms of the fact that actually everyone's still just finding their feet. Yeah. Um, and you can all be vulnerable and you can be like, actually, like, you know, we're a new company and this is what we're looking to do rather than try and, what was it? Um, I used to work with an American. She said to me, like, fake it till you make it, right? Which I understand. <laughs> but like, but the truth, you don't need to in this industry, just be honest yeah. and just list it. And everyone's kind of like, yeah, you know, willing to help. But yeah, I definitely, I, I could definitely do with playing a bit more GTA in my life at the moment. So <laughs> What counts? What, what was your first game? What was your like main game as a kid that you loved? I actually think it was uh, The Sims, not Sim City, but The Sims. Oh, the Sims. Um, and then I'm trying to remember there was this because I'm half German. There was this German game, and it's this cute little creature, and he goes on adventures. But he, you're sim, you're a sim player as well, um, and I really can't remember what it was called. I loved that game. I used to. You know, when my parents came in and they were lights off and you know, no more computer, no more TV and things, I would wait oh. until they were asleep and then get back on and hide under the blanket and put it over my, you know, it was one of those big, big computers back in the day, showing my age now, um, and, you know, play that all night and then moved on to kind of SimCity. Uh, and then it was all the, all the variations of Assassin's Creed and, and GTA and um, those kind of games. Um, I also, I don't know if I should be able to say this, but the other one that I really loved was any kind of mafia or drug wars. So there was, there was a game called Dope Wars, which was the most simple interface, but it was really about just, you know, becoming a dealer and how much money you could make on weapons and, and drugs. And, um, yeah, it was great. I love those games. <laughs> and I became a lawyer. So. <laughs> no, do, do you know, there, there was, do you know what? I've just had a flashback. There was a game like that on like the Amiga 500. I loved those games, genuinely. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, just you just get into it, and and you know, actually, um, I think they served me well because they started to teach me accounting, and you know, costs and overheads, and don't have to justify revenue. it now. That's fine. Listen, it was just fun. It was you don't have to justify it. It was just fun. <laughs> yeah, the, honestly, like the games back in the day, I, I would play like World Cup Italia ninety, like um, forever. There was. Oh, do you know, I'm, I'm actually having flashbacks to a game on the Amiga 500, but I'm not going to remember what it was, but it was exactly like, it was like dealing and like assassinating people. people. Yeah. Great games, great games. Yeah. But, um, but going, going back to, going back to the world of, of blockchain um, and, and Nest, like, you know, it, it's obviously, um, it's, it's a precarious time, right, for the industry. And one thing that we're seeing where there does seem to be a lot of excitement is actually in the metaverse and in the gaming world. Um, I mean, do you have any like thoughts yourself on, 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 cause I, I'm getting mixed, I'm getting mixed reviews. I have to say on the metaverse right now. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a, of a step back kind of on, uh, and, and just talk again, generalization and high levels. Um, I, the metaverse, I think there isn't really a utility per se, I'm still a little confused on why we are using blockchain for the metaverse. Um, graphics, when it's really blockchain centric, are still not great. You know, a lot of people are now combining that with kind of 
Unity or, or any of those, um, which, which is very much Web2. Um, but I also think a big issue with, with the industry on the metaverse side of things is there's too many metaverses. So if we are trying to combine and consolidate the entire you know, industry and bring in outside players, you know, a lot of big brands have been wanting to come in for customer acquisition. Um, you know, HSBC got a, got a piece of land in the sandbox. Um, I, I feel like it defeats the purpose by having, I mean, there's, there's currently a million and, and one metaverses, you know, different ones and, you know, to get traction there. And then what the, what the application is, um, I'm a little confused about, you know, I've, I've obviously been pitched quite a lot, uh, especially at the accelerator. And even now through, you know, I, I still advise a lot of companies through my consultancy um, on metaverse projects. And, you know, I see the traction, Nike, all of these brands and stuff, they want to go in. But if I, if I think of it from it, from a personal level, and I always put, I always try and, you know, have different hats on when I'm looking at um, projects and I'm advising, why do I want to go into the metaverse and buy Nike shoes? I would like to go into a physical store and try them on, walk around, um, see whether they're comfortable, um, you know, feel the material, um, you know, so I, I think that there is a time and place for it. You know, if we were still in COVID, I think maybe yes. Uh, even then, again, on a personal level, I prefer being out in a shop. Uh, same as with bank accounts. Am I really going to go into a metaverse and open a bank account? I also find that a little ironic because, you know, KYC uh, compliance uh, wise, <laughs> that would be a very difficult KYC process, right? So it's, um, it, it, to me, I, I still don't get it. Uh, and, and this is a little bit um, a frustration that I have within the industry. Uh, again, going back to kind of the same example of, you know, when there's a bull market, everyone kind of comes up or not everyone, again, generalization, a lot of people come up with the same type of project because it's a little bit of a money grab. It's easy. You know, a lot of people think it's easy to, to make money. We saw this during the ICO boom. Um, I kind of feel like metaverse and gaming is following that trend. Uh, the issue that I, or the frustration that I have with gaming is people are building it a surrounding play to earn, as opposed to building a game that people genuinely like, and then having a token or earning as a bonus, right? So the reason that we play GTA and Assassin's Creed and FIFA or, you know, um, uh, Tiger Woods golf is because we genuinely enjoyed that game. And so there's a real incentive to play the game because you just genuinely enjoy it. Uh, and then if you get rewarded for that, great. Now, blockchain or crypto, actually, you should say crypto in this instance, um, has flipped that concept and they're enticing people by saying, ooh, you could make a lot of money. But the game, I mean, we saw this with Axie Infinity. Axie Infinity is not a fun game, um, but everyone played it because of the amount of money you could make it. But as soon as that token model no longer works, or as soon as there is a crash, no one's playing the game anymore. And so you don't have a, have a long-term uh, life cycle of your company and of the game. And, um, you know, I, I think that that needs to reset a little. I'm hoping this bear market is going to, because generally in the bear market, you you see quite, uh, you see very interesting projects come out afterwards, you know, where they really start to think about it. So I'm kind of hoping that people will really focus on building, um, building games that are fun and then adding a token later. I actually generally suggest to my gaming companies to delay the token by about four years, build a game, build a community of really loving that game and then rewarding them after, right? Because you know that they're going to stay with you and you know that the game is going to survive. Same as with the metaverse, you know, let's build something that's fun, uh, where the graphics are good, where people know what they're doing in it. Uh, I, I, like I said, I still don't really get the point of, of the metaverses. Um, 
you know, you walk around as a sim, but there's no fun game in it. It's not like the Sims. It's not like SimCity where you're building your own stuff. You're literally walking around and you can go into a shop or you can go into HSBC. And um, again, maybe, maybe this is me just being old and I like brick and mortar uh, shops and banks and restaurants. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't really get it. No, do, do you know, I have to say that. I mean, look, in terms of banks, I think actually I, I can see a use case there for for the metaverse but the reality is in, in like i think banks are going like atm machines are going um i think cash obviously is is going um i just think the technology on the metaverse is probably 10 to 15 years behind where conceptually we think it is and i think in the short term we always overestimate how good technology is and in the long term we underestimate how how good it can actually be um but I just think in terms of the metaverse, my issue is more around like mental health. I mean, are we really going to sit there? Like, like you say, like, you know, when you say you like brick and mortar, what you're really saying is you like to be out in the real world. Yeah. You know, and and the, the concept of just sitting at home and just with a headset on and living your life that way doesn't sound overly appealing. Yeah, no, it doesn't to me either. But, you know, again, I, I think that if the metaverse had, so a couple of projects that I really actually love for the metaverse, which came, you know, applied to the accelerator were educational um, projects. And so, you know, some of them were cultural to keep certain cultures alive um, where, you know, the population is very small and the new generation doesn't really want to be involved. Um, and they were going to build, you know, um, a space in the metaverse where children could go and they could get taught all of these incredible stories traditional stories from the culture and see all the dress and things and I think that's a great use case right um or for example if we set that up where there was a space for mental health or breath work I mean I'm, I'm super into all of that stuff but I do also think it's it's very good for us um but currently you know I, I don't want to name some of the metaverses the big ones uh everyone knows which ones they are but you walk around um and there's really nothing to do you can go shopping oh. Uh, or you can, you know, sometimes attend a rave party, which again, I would rather do in, in real where I can see the yeah. DJ, where I can speak to people, speak to my friends, speak to randoms, you know, yeah, yeah, have fun. Yeah, you're not um, sitting in your lounge at home. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the other thing, you know, I mean, although it's coming, there was, there was a really interesting um, project that I read about uh, that linked up with um, neuropsychologists and neuroscientists. And they were trying to recreate really all your five senses within the metaverse. So, uh, you know, if you would hear the wind blowing in the metaverse, you could actually feel a breeze. And, and they were trying to do that through, you know, electrodes and something that you put on your head as well and stimulate that. Or, you know, if you were uh, at a restaurant, you could actually smell it. That I think is different, right? Like if it's fully immersive. Um, but again, I, I feel like we're losing so much of that human interaction um, you know, something that's really interesting to me is over the last two years, um, so I'm, I'm big into psychology as well. Uh, over the last two years, psychologists have been doing studies on children who haven't been able to go to school, and they found that most kids can't read other people's body languages and emotions because, you know, for two years, everyone was wearing a mask or everyone was at home. And so you, you really lose the way to connect with one another, um, which, you know, to me is a big thing because I think life and, and fundamentally happiness for most of us come from connections that we make with one another. Um, and although you can connect over Zoom and things, it's still not the same as when you meet in person. You know, it's, it's a whole different ball game, the energies that you feel and um, yeah, and, and being able to run around and play around together. 
it comes from a young age as well right it comes from and and i I think you know i i I think it was like um bowlby's maternal like deprivation hypothesis where he looks at the study of like like kids who have like deprived like the primary caregiver and you know the the detrimental effect that it has on the child over the long term um it's no different to what we're saying we're actually saying should we be depriving each other of that human interaction and for me i i, I think that's that is very much the concern but yeah you, you can't you can't recreate a rave i mean on the metaverse no although they've tried you know although i mean i think paris, paris hilton had a had a rave right uh in in the sandbox um a while ago but you know again i i this, this is just a personal thing. I mean, there might be some people out there that are saying, no, they don't. They actually don't want to be out in the world. And, you know, it's far more comfortable. You don't have to queue for the bathrooms. You don't have to queue for a drink. You can you can sit at home. And fair enough, you know, to each their own. But um, I think my main point with all of this is, is everything in balance, right? Yeah. So uh, just as we enjoyed playing SimCity or, or The Sims, and, and that was kind of a metaverse, right? Um, it, it's imbalance. It, it's still going also out during the day. enjoyed climbing or... trees as a kid. And, yeah, exactly. You know, we used to play like, football on the street. I was just sounding really old. But we used to play football on the streets like every day. I've never, ever seen kids like playing football on the streets. No, they're all on their phones now. Um, oh, no, don't. We're yeah. sounding really old. We, we, we don't. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go down that. But yes. But moving, <laughs> yeah, but but moving on, like no, look, I I I, I, I think that um, the investment we're seeing from global financial institutions into the metaverse, it, it is exciting. But personally, I don't think the technology is there. I think women in blockchain, uh, especially, is is actually quite exciting. And again, it's not for me trying to be politically correct or anything like that. I, I think it's more like like what you said. It's more from a creative standpoint. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and again, I mean, for for Nest, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting time because I think that actually there's going to be more and more companies that have a far greater need and demand for the products that you are actually offering, right? That that control. Yeah. So I mean, there's there's a couple of parts uh, and and features or focuses, I guess, in terms of our product. So one, we have our own blockchain. Um, so that's, that's kind of the piece of resistance. And then we built, you know, three, three dApps on top of that. So one of them is what we call the nest app. And, um, that app to me, uh, is, you know, really about onboarding the masses. Now, Charles and I have slightly different, um, not views on this, but, but slightly different focuses when it comes to each and every product. Um, Charles really built all of this stuff from a security user uh, privacy and protection perspective. Um, and although that is all, you know, uh, that is all really important to me, what I really love about the apps is the fact that actually fundamentally they make a lot of the complicated stuff super easy. So in the app, we have an easy minting feature. Um, you know, again, during COVID, there was a lot of artists and creatives specifically that weren't able to work, uh, that had to find other ways to monetize, to digitize their art. Obviously, the NFT space became really big and a lot of people wanted to move in. Now, if you're not technical or if you haven't been in the space or even if you have been in the space, it's pretty difficult to create your own NFT collection. I mean, the amount of things that you have to set up and do and 
learn and understand and then which chain do you go on you know polygon ethereum right like near whatever um you know how do you transfer how do you even set up your wallet how do you pay for things what is gas uh you know it's such a weird term right within within a technology space um and so you know in our app for example as easy as it is to upload a photo on instagram you can mint an nft on any chain that you want or on all chains and you have an integrated wallet which is housed in the security features that you know Charles um, is really focused on, and and is the importance of and the overriding principle of all of our technology, um, and then obviously other other technical aspects as well. But then um, you know again, if you look at the process of selling your NFTs once you've created them, there's so much work. You have to build a community, which requires several different platforms. You know, Telegram, um, Instagram uh discord twitter um you know a, a whole bunch of them i mean every day there's new ones popping up right um and then you have to you know ramp up on the marketing and build that community engage in that community then figure out how to get them to buy into it or whitelist and and drop it to them um and so what we've done in this app is you know i call it a super app is amalgamate all of this so that you can literally go in, you can set up your community just like you would a Facebook group. Uh, again, it just has the benefits of all the security housing that Charles has built. Um, plus it has features from all of these platforms. So you have, you know, you can chat in there, you can send private messages, uh, you can post um, uh, posts in there just like you would on, on Facebook or Instagram. Differences, of course, they're on-chain, so no one can ever delete them. Um, you know, again, that's where it comes to control and privacy and access, which again are, are things that Charles um, fundamentally wanted to have within the space and didn't believe it existed. Um, but you see, for me, as the non-technical side, and for someone who's come into the space not being technical and wanting to be part of this, uh, what resonates the most with me is just that it's super easy. I can create an NFT in a second. I can build my community. I can engage with them. I can tell them about it. Um, I can tell them, you know, it goes straight into your wallet as soon as you create an account, right? I don't need to create a separate MetaMask or a separate trust wallet or whatever else. And then, and then try and figure out how to get all the different chains on. We have everything in one there. Um, so that's what I really love about our app. It's, it's to me, it's the onboarding of the masses. It's bringing in what I call the crypto curious of which there are many, um, you know, again, I've been in the space for a while. It's only actually, um, with Nest that I started playing around with NFTs and buying them because prior to that, I I myself also was like, it's so complicated. And then, you know, if I do have a high value NFT, there's all these hacks. And, and again, this is where the privacy and the security and the control comes from, right? That Charles is, you know, really geared and centered towards. Um, so that's, that's the app, uh, kind of in a nutshell, obviously there's more and more features coming as well. And, um, our token will function on that as well. So it's a reward system token because, uh, we want to, we want to be able to reward people for contributing to our network, to our community. Um, and then we have, um, a marketplace for not just NFTs, but for real world legal con contractual exchange. Um, and so any type of service provider, and any type of seller of any goods will be able to put the entire process end to end on chain, including your legal contract. And you can edit the legal contract online. Once you complete that contract, it actually turns into an on-chain asset, which has a value of its own. So separate to anything that you're selling and you could actually you know, sell on that, that contract as well. Um, but you know, we've, we decided to steer that kind of initially towards again, 
what I call building kind of the crypto universe. Um, whenever I'm looking for services providers, uh, marketing agencies, freelancers, KOLs, uh, or membership clubs, you know, that are crypto specific or co-working spaces, I have to Google it. There's no one centralized, I know that's a dirty word in this industry, but there's no centralized directory that I can look up. Um, there's no reviews on services providers. You know, I've gone through a couple of rounds with marketing agencies, which I wish had had reviews because they weren't fantastic. And had I been able to read those, wouldn't have hired them. Um, and so, you know, on, on our marketplace, we actually have a version of an on-chain Google Maps. We built this ourselves. So it looks like Google Maps, but it's, it's on-chain and, you know, slightly different. And any business or any uh, freelancer can drop a pin. So you can set up your profile. Um, and then you can say, you know, how much you charge an hour, or if you're, for example, um, a members club for crypto, we have one out in Hong Kong, you can put your application form on there, you can pay straight through there. And then again, the NFT membership will sit straight in your wallet on the marketplace. If you're a service provider, um, you know, you can, before anyone can contact you to waste your time, because a lot of people do right with service providers, it goes back and forth. You can say, okay, standard rates or, you know, for a package for this, it's this price. This is my standard contract. You need to accept it before you can even talk to me. Um, and then once that's accepted, they can then chat. There's then a scheduling system, which tracks both of you. So, uh, you know, for example, on this podcast, had this been on over our marketplace, both of us would have had to hit a button saying we were starting the podcast. And then at the end, we finish it. And that then completes the contract, right? Unless there's anything else that, that we'd agree to do afterwards. Um, and so this, so for my, from my side, it's making things, it's streamlining things. It's making things easier. It's onboarding people. It's helping again, newcomers come into the space, um, you know, because other, other industries want to come in, you know, I've spoken to a couple of, you know, photographers and models and things, and they're all like, Ooh, I'd actually love to get into crypto. How do I find clients? And this is a great way. Um, from Charles's perspective, he built this because and I'm not sure if he said this, but he got very annoyed one day that smart contracts were actually just acting as dumb escrow. And so he was like, how can I solve for this? And this is where the, the real world legal contractual exchange comes from, because instead of it just being an escrow, there's specific actions that both parties need to take in order for the contract either to complete or you never get paid out. And then we have a jury dispute mechanism system, which is um, per vertical um, and for the community. So when you sign up to uh, our platform, you can decide to be part of the jury. So for example, I would say, you know, I'm a lawyer. Uh, if I was a freelance lawyer, I'd be like, I'm a lawyer. These are my hourly rates. Um, and then any legal disputes, I can be part of that jury. And so should you and me have, you know, a dispute, we can then submit it to the jury. And then that jury will actually, uh, they will have all of our, our communication, everything decrypted. Um, so wow. to see, and then they will vote on it. And whoever they vote in favor on, then the smart contract will essentially pay out whatever whatever the rest of it is, right? So it's it's trying to streamline things a little, easy, uh, make things easier for everyone in the world. That is a lot you guys doing. That is. And then the last one is an institutional uh, custody grade um, solution for uh, digital assets and bulk minting and NFT ticketing um, and a CRM management system. So that it's a lot. It's a whole bunch. Charles has been building the stuff for about five, six years now. Yeah, like he—he's a smart dude. He's, he's a, a smart, dude. and he—he's yes. he, very dedicated. Very, um, yes. So, well, look, it's going to be exciting to see um, what you guys do next. And Patricia, great to see you. So, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a fun conversation. It's been great to see you, Patricia, our CEO at Nest.